Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Well, good morning again, church. We're going to go today for our third trip into Matthew, Matthew 6. And before you say, he's going into Matthew again. Yes, I am. I don't make any complaints about it. It's a wonderful chapter and and it's fantastic, fantastic gospel to go into. And if you remember when we started a few months back, I was looking at getting back into the basics, the basics in our Christianity, in our beliefs, which I think is something we all need to, to really do. So, let's pray, let's open in prayer um, before we look into the word and uh, see what God has for us today. Dear Father, we praise and we glorify your name. We give you all the honour and the blessing for you have opened the eyes of the blind, you have healed the sick and you forgive the sinful. Hear our prayer and forgive us our sins. Renew your love in our hearts And help us to live in unity with our fellow Christian brothers and sisters. That we may proclaim your saving power to all the world. And this we ask in the precious name of our Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you remember when we started we went, first of all we looked at prayer. We started off in Matthew 6 verses 9 through 13 at how we should pray. And prayer is one of the one of the main, I've got one, thank you, Pastor. One of the main core beliefs, if you like, of Christianity. It's our way of communicating with God. And we looked, we looked briefly into that. The second time we went into Matthew, we looked in, still in chapter 6, but we looked in 1, at, one to 8. And we looked at the way you shouldn't pray. It shouldn't make it all about you. It shouldn't be a shopping list. Father, I want this. Father, I want that. Can you do this? Can you do that? That's not what prayer is. And we also looked at, also looked at the correct way of doing God's work. Giving to the needy. Helping people. Showing them Christ's Christianity in us. So in today's instalment, number three, we're going back into Matthew, <laughs> chapter 6, and also 18, to look at a major part of Christ, the major part of Christianity, which is forgiveness. So how does the world that we live in today define forgiveness? Well, I've got this written down here because it's in the dictionary. Well, actually, they've got it down as a conscious and deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, whether they, the group, or individuals actually deserve your forgiveness or not. That's what they say. And depending on which dictionary you read, there are four, five, six, some even give ten types of forgiveness. This person this much because they only did that. And this much, this person that much because they didn't do that much at all, really. But that's just speculation. And fortunately, we don't need human speculation because we have divine, divine word that tells us exactly what forgiveness is. 
And in the Bible, there are two types of forgiveness. And they are, number one, God's pardon of our sin. And number two, our, our response to that and our obligation to pardon those who sin against us. And first of all, we looked into verse 12. And that says, and forgive us our debts, bless you, and we also have forgiven our debtors. And for the most part, this looks as if it's just about a financial debt. And in fact, for the most part, it is. In biblical times, the Jewish people were very clear on their response to financial debt. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it states that every seventh year, they should practice the remission of debts. In the original Hebrew, the word for this remission, and I did have it verified by our Jewish contingent, Hannah, who is not here today, but she told me the pronunciation is the Shimta. So the Shimta literally translates as a release, to release people from their debt. And that's included every seventh year as part of the Shimta. Jewish people had to forgive everybody their debts who owed them money. The farmers had to open their fields to their neighbours and to their friends and to the poor. And Jewish people who had slaves had to let their slaves go on the seventh year. So it's not really just a financial forgiveness. Debt or debtors or transgressions as in some versions say. But we then heard in chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, it talks of forgiving sins against us and how many times we should forgive sins. Our response, not God's, our response. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So that shows our response to forgiveness. So forgiveness is obviously an extremely important part of our Christian life. C.S. Lewis, the author, who I'm sure you know, wrote amongst other things all the Narnia books and the Narnia seas. He was a lay preacher and also a lay theologian. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what a lay theologian was. I'd heard theologian, I'd heard lay preachers. But a lay theologian is just somebody who hasn't been ordained. I didn't know that. But anyway, he was asked one day, how, as a Christian, the Christian point of view of forgiveness. And he said, literally just, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has re released the inexcusable sin in you. And we learn early on in our Christian life, don't we, that to break one commandment, we break them all. And it's very much the same with sin. If we forgive one sin, then we must forgive all sins. Why? Because you can't go around picking who you forgive and who you don't, and what sin they've committed, 
You can forgive, oh, I'll forgive you that, but not that. You can't do that. If you stop to think about it and you count up all of the sins, and I include myself in this, it would be quite overwhelming. I'm sure all of us have done things that we're not proud of and we all fall short of God's standard of perfection. And though it's important to be aware of our sins, it's much more important to know the sin that we've committed to other people and not to let it overwhelm us. Because no matter how many times we've sinned and no matter what sin we've committed, Jesus has already paid the price. And that means that God will forgive every single one of them. Why and how? Because it says in here, in Psalm 65.3, it says, When we were overwhelmed by our sins, you forgave our transgressions. But Jesus is not only by our side when we need forgiveness. Jesus is the reason for our forgiveness. He was the sacrifice that allows us to be forgiven. The once and for all perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ, Christ on the cross dealt with our sins permanently. The blood of our Saviour wipes our sinful record clean. End of story. There is no argument in that. And the great thing about God's forgiveness is it's free. We're fortunate that it is because you cannot earn it no matter how many good deeds you do, how many times you come to church, how much money you give to charity, how many helpful charity organisations you help in. That's not going to buy you anything. And you and I certainly do not deserve it, but God tells us in his words that we don't need to try and work for it. We only need to believe. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So that's it. That's the key. That is the key to the whole forgiveness thing. Righteousness. And a righteous relationship with the God our Father. Righteousness just means being made right with God. And we know as we've read that we're not able to do it on our own. Or make ourselves right with God no matter how good we are. No matter what we try to do. But we don't have to be. Because Jesus has paid that price in full. So God forgives us through Jesus which makes us right with God. And gives us that relationship with him. All we need to do is trust in Jesus' sacrifice to pay the price of our sins. And that is the core belief of Christianity. That we believe that Jesus Christ, our Saviour, died for our sins to give us freedom and salvation. Forgiveness is not just essential for a relationship with God. It's very essential for a healthy relationship with other people. <clears throat> Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven. But dwelling on it separates close friends. And we know that's true. 
We all know that's true. Nothing, nothing destroys a relationship, any kind of relationship, <coughs> excuse me, quicker than a lack of forgiveness. If one person, person in a relationship holds on to a hurt or a wrongdoing or a, a saying, anything, that relationship will go downhill. Because trust is the main thing in all relationships. And without forgiveness, that's impossible. But true forgiveness can and does make any relationship stronger. If you forgive someone who's hurt you, no matter what they've done, no matter how many times they've done it, what you're actually saying is, you think more of that person than you do of the sin that they've committed against you. And that's the right way to be. A relationship based on true forgiveness and grace is so much stronger than any relationship based on you being right or getting what you think you deserve. When we are forgiven, the joy we experience is amazing. When we refuse to confess and ask for forgiveness, it is written in the Bible that we will suffer. In Psalms 32, 1 through 5, it says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said, to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all of my guilt is gone. Amen. This passage shows the benefits of forgiveness and the consequences of not having forgiveness. David's telling us here um, in the passage that when he hid from God, that it had both a spiritual and a physical effect on his life, on his body. And the same thing can happen to us. We can get, cause great pain and severe stress. And stress, as we all know nowadays, can affect our physical and our mental health. But when we experience true forgiveness from God, it can and will change our lives. We can see that in Luke 7.47, when the Lord said to the, I tell you, her sins, and they were many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. So when we experience true forgiveness from God, then the result is love. Not only love for God, for his forgiveness, but having the forgiveness of a loving God lets us love others in a way we cannot love on our own. When we see the depth of God's love and forgiveness, it inspires us to love and forgive others much more easily. Being forgiven and loved by God dramatically changes the way we see and interact with other people. 
whether they're our Christian brothers and sisters or whether they're non-Christians. So when you think it may be better sometimes to cover up for your mistake and not ask God for forgiveness, think again. In the Bible, the first created people, Adam and Eve, tried to hide their mistakes from God, didn't they? And we all know how that worked out, don't we? Mankind started to be disobedient to God from the start. And unfortunately, we've been doing it ever since. No matter what we think, no matter what you think, no matter what anybody tells you, you cannot hide from God. Covering up things will usually backfire. And if it doesn't, don't think you've got away with it, because I can assure you, you haven't. Unconfessed sin gets in the way of a relationship with God. So a true child of God wants to confess their sins and ask for forgiveness and restore that fellowship with God. And the Bible is very clear on the results of not having fellowship with God. And trust me, it's something we really don't want to think about because it is extremely unpleasant. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-9. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we not, need not say anything. And I don't actually think this is the right verse. Might be my mistake. Thessalonians 1, 8, 9. In flaming fire, I'll read it from the Bible. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his might. So forgiveness is not only great for the person being forgiven, but it's much more important for the person who forgives because that gets us back in righteous belief with God. <coughs> Excuse me. A person who forgives is clean inside because forgiveness stops bitterness and pain from entering our hearts. And bitterness in our hearts is one of the best ways to let the evil one in. Satan loves the people who do not have forgiveness in their hearts. Why? Because he has no forgiveness in his heart. And all the things that you get from not forgiving people like bitterness, pain, anger, hatred, even despair are all things that Satan loves in people. Especially if he can find those in any of God's people. Any little thing you can grab hold of in your past, he will play on it. He will bring up everything you've done wrong, everything you know you should have said something about and you didn't. That's what he does. And unfortunately, he is extremely good at it. So when he does bring those things up, and trust me, he will, the best thing to remind him of is his future. Because he hasn't got one. But we have to be very discerning on the real truth about forgiveness. Because there are many things said about forgiveness that honestly are not true. 
The biggest one, and I'm sure you've all heard it, is forgive and forget. Some preachers I've even heard say, we must forgive and forget all, everybody of their sins. Whatever they do to you, just forgive it, forget it, get on with it, it's okay. And what they use, a passage that they use for that is Hebrews 8.12. They say, for I, he says, they say, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. But nowhere, nowhere in that verse, nowhere in that passage, nowhere in this book, does God say he will forget. God has always and will always know everything. So if he knows everything, he can forget Nothing. But he has promised never to use our sin against us or to treat us as if our sins are at the forefront of his mind. And we know this because he tells us in Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. But when we're hurt by people and they do things against us, we naturally think of getting justice. That's a perfectly normal human trait. We all do it. We've all thought it. Oh, what did he did that to me? Oh, I'm going to get it. Oh, I'm going to get it. And that's perfectly normal. But we should never ever want revenge. Justice may be. Revenge never. Why? Because God tells us to leave the people that do wrong to us or that do wrong to anybody else to him. In Romans 12, 19, he said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So leave it to God. Trust me, he is much better at it than you or I. So forgiveness does not mean you forget that a sin or a wrong has been committed. And it does not mean that you should ignore moral atrocities that are going on in the world. It just means that you've chosen to let God be the one to sort it out. He is the judge, not you or I. You can be at the end of your tether with a person who has upset you or hurt you. But when we give and receive forgiveness, the Lord will put that person on our hearts and they and you will feel such, such great healing in your heart. Forgiving people that have wronged you is never easy. Sometimes it feels impossible. But that's what God did for us. And that's what he asks us to do for others. Do not think for one minute that not forgiving you somebody makes you stronger. It doesn't. It just makes you bitter. And people think that forgiving someone makes them weak. Well, it doesn't. It'll just set you free and back into the arms of God. So let me leave you with this thought. Jesus Christ was on this earth for 33 years approximately. Three years, in the, three years of his ministry, he met plenty of people that wronged him, that hurt him, despised him, hated him. In the last days of his life, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was nailed to a cross, 
hung up to die, and a spear forced into his side. And yet one of the last things Christ ever said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we are a family in Christ. Help us to share his love and forgiveness with everyone that we come into contact with this week. May we show Christ's abounding goodness to all. May we be your hands to the needy, your words to the oppressed, and your comforting arms to the lonely. And we thank you for choosing us to help bring your kingdom here on earth. In the name of Jesus, our only Saviour, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, a ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.